What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately, and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thank you for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. I help organizations develop their team into inspirational leaders and create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. I provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about me and how we can work together at elisecortez.com or gusto-now.com. Let me, thank, let me thank my partner and sponsor, WorkProud. We are a perfect collaboration. Everybody wants to know they matter and that the work they do is meaningful and appreciated. WorkProud helps companies to do just that through their mobile platform that is built to encourage employees to share stories and recognize each other's contribution. WorkProud empowers HR and business leaders to help create company cultures where all employees are inspired to feel proud of their work and proud of their company. Learn more about WorkProud and the recent study they've commissioned about pride in the work at WorkProud.com. You can, you can actually then click on the, the button there to actually get your copy of, of the, uh, the paper. With us today is Deborah Westfall, who is an executive advisor, futurist, and author of Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. Her career spans more than 30 years in virtually every continent. A passionate humanist and lifelong learner, she has guided government and co- corporate leaders to challenge biases, ignite ideas, and build resilience for a secure future. We'll be talking today about the state of the state of today's business and the need for and benefits of moving to a human-centric future. She joins us today from Salt Lake City. Deborah, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here, Elise. I'm glad. And, you know, as I said, you know, I love getting to be the host. And, you know, I read your book cover to cover. It's a gorgeous book. Well, extremely well written, too. It's clearly, very clear to me, my dear, that you are wicked smart and passionate. I like that combination. Thank you. I appreciate the the, uh, the compliment and, and I really appreciate you reading the book. Thank Absolutely. you very much. You're so welcome. I always like to say when somebody says they listen to my show, I always say, so you're the one. Uh, right. It's kind of like that with a book too, right? So um, one of the things that immediately caught my eye when I was reading your book is you, you say in some ways it's 30 years in the making. So if that's so then, Deborah, why now? Why this book now? Well, the 30 years was my journey, and my journey from, uh, you know, being an engineer and and, uh, young MBA student thinking that, uh, you know, systems and structure and and, uh, organizational design was key to a successful business to really understanding that it's it's humans that are the the key to success. And so that was the 30 years. Um, Why now? Uh, we are in the middle, you know, we, we're just stepping into the information age. We're very, it's very new. And and a lot of our assumptions about how things work, how business work are are probably outdated. And we just really don't realize that. And and so it is, it is a key time to start really thinking about this in a, in a very different way. And the this is business, it's relationship with people, and, and what are we going to do with all this advanced technology we're developing? 
Mm -hmm. I have been saying since the beginning of the pandemic, this was a perfect time to really look at and evaluate all of your systems, especially any system that touches a human being in your organization, see which ones, which which be many of them, need to be thrown out entirely or reinvented. And, and I do want, I can't wait till we talk about your idea of obsolescence later on. Um, so important. So um, before we get to that, though, I want to just start with the premise of the way you created this book. I think it's so clever what you did. And I love clever analogies that elucidate ideas. And so I'd love to hear how you came up with the idea of your three-part analogy of the book between the Galapagos ocean currents and technology, business, and people. Sure. It was on a trip, actually, to the Galapagos. I figured, of course. <laughs> and, if, uh, and, and if you've ever been there, it's, uh, it's an amazing place. It, it's uh, a set of, uh, you know, some 70 different islands that are volcanoes are making new islands almost every day. And uh, each island is very unique. Um, some are big, some are small. But what is key to the Galapagos Island is this really interesting, uh, you know, convergence of, of ocean currents that are coming from the north and the west and from the south that bring nutrients and perfect weather and just that combination to let this the the animals and the the plant life and everything thrive and it was on a trip uh, about 18 months ago that i it was like you know what this is like business this is the business environment there are these currents that are happening that when they're in perfect balance it creates an, a, an environment for businesses to thrive and be successful and be created if the currents become out of balance just like in the islands it will put in danger the life forms that live there and and that is the same with with business if we allow business or the purpose of business or technology to to kind of create an imbalance with what we're doing for people then it will put in harm our business too mm -hmm. beautifully said and i just thought that was so clever how you came up with that analogy especially with the name of your book convergence um Okay, so next then, let's let's contrast what you talk about as the old universal business laws and what you see as needed in today's business world. You know, modern business, the, the business that we know today is, it's taken us, what, 60, 70 years to create. Um, we've gone through globalization and industrialization and, you know, all the things that we've learned over those 70, 80 years have you know, been fine-tuned for efficiency and effectiveness for a very different day, a, a very industrial globalization, mass production uh, perspective. Those laws, if you would, those things that we know um, and have learned and have uh, experienced over those past decades um, or passed down from generation to generation on how to run business, are no longer, um, in some cases, relevant for an information age. We are globalized. Um, we are highly connected. Um, we have this advanced technology. And to fine tune efficiency and effectiveness for business, um, there's, there's something greater here that we need to step back and, and look at. And that's, uh, you know, that's where um, I made that statement about it's time to do that. It's time to realize where we're at. Mm -hmm. Well, and then in, 
within that, you talk specifically about the human energy variable, which is very interesting for me, Deb, because um, my whole world between meaning and purpose is all about activating and elevating that energy from individuals inside organizations. So say more about this human energy variable piece. You know, technology has allowed us to connect uh, to almost everybody on the, the planet. And, and soon we will be able to, to connect with all the infrastructure and communication infrastructure that's being put in the world. And, and what it's done is it's allowed people to connect to like people to have uh, discussions and share dreams and hopes and and um, and fears and and so you know this this power shift if you would to people and the voices and their desires have created this this human energy has unleashed it I mean we've always had that inside of us but it's unleashed it in a way that it is more of a human system that needs to be paid attention to and you know it's inside our organizations it's outside of our organizations and it's it's a very powerful thing when we really stand back and look at um, what's inside an individual and and what they would like to achieve just unleash that for your business and and that will ignite the business you're singing my my song deb you're totally singing my song i'm right there with you Oh, as we were sort of talking about before we got on air together, when I was reading your book, I, I just kept going, gosh, this is so, sounds to me like stakeholder capitalism, conscious capitalism. How would you distinguish how your human-centric approach to business and leadership is different or distinguished from those? those you know, it's not different, it's additive. And, okay. you know, mm -hmm. under that definition of, of kind of stakeholder capitalism, um, you know, it it's look at your employees, you know, pay attention to your employees or your suppliers or your customers. Um, and then the uh, communities that you operate in, where I expanded is humanity, because we are in this time of hyper-connectedness that, you know, even if you operate in a, a very regional or localized community, your impact is probably regional or global. And then we have companies that are already global that are in thousands of communities that, you know, you almost have to redefine community to be humanity. And what do I mean by that? Um, you can take uh, environmental impact as, as a, a problem of humanity or an opportunity that that businesses need to uh, pay attention to. So it's an additive, it's not distinguished, and it's, it's trying to, um, you know, expand, uh, expand that uh, definition. Mm -hmm. You know what I saw in it, Deborah, and it's kind of what you were just saying before is, I feel like what you're doing is, yeah, you, you know, it's not different, it's, it's an expansion, but it's also a, like a honing in on that human energy piece, right? So you're really, seems like you're really, at, you're intent on activating, you know, the, the promise of each individual, which I am too. Would you say that's right? Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, so many times when you, when, when people use stakeholder inside of business, they define it as customer. And, and then they segment customer and it's really the people that buy their products. It's not those other people that maybe you're impacting with um, some business process that you're, you're doing or, you know, long-term, uh, you know, impact on 
because of how you manage your water or you know your how you're polluting the, the, the world or how you're looking at diversity or in inclusion as a um, as a whole problem not just inside your your organization so I um, you know stakeholder to me has has almost been hijacked as a word because it's really about customer and that hones in very, very narrowly that I don't think represents what um, advocates like yourself are trying to do, which is we need to look at a broader sense of, of people and, and what we're doing and, and the impact. Mm-hmm. And you know, to that end, I, as you know, I'm I'm on the board of the of the Dallas um, Conscious Capitalism Group, and on September 24th, I'll be facilitating for a group, uh, basically a stakeholder mapping exercise, where we are actually digging into each of those respective communities: the customers, the suppliers, the community, the employees, the investors. Right. So really trying to really understand deeply their needs, their interests, how they're connected, what's in it for them to be part of, you know, your ship, if you will, or be on your ship. So I completely agree with you that that term has been really, it's really been um, overutilized and therefore it's not as valuable as it used to be. You know, there's so many kind of hidden stakeholders that um, we don't, we don't recognize or we don't analyze because it's a new thing. I mean, an example I like to use is, you know, there's a thought that says, well, if we put everything on the internet and we do everything virtually, this will be great. We won't have to travel. We won't have to get in our cars. We can bring down the carbon emissions. But in honesty, you know, all honesty, the uh, the internet is, um, you know, it's the, if it was a country, it's the sixth most populating country in the world. Wow. You know, more internet, more data means more data centers. More data centers mean more energy. And and so, if we continue on the way we're doing with with just you know that virtual and data and and such, um, the internet, you know, that those global uh, data centers, you know, will be the 14th largest carbon emission. Um, in in the world by by 2034 and we don't think about that we don't think about that as a stakeholder and that's kind of the call to action here is we need a new set of tools and, and mental models for thinking about who is our stakeholder mm-hmm. very insightful I love that Deb that's very insightful so what I want to do next is I want to read a short little passage that I think will be music to not just the ears of mine as I read it, but also to our listeners and then have you comment on it. It's beautiful. Um, you say, uh, let's see, wait, wait, let me start where I got the story. So the piece in your book that has got to be used. Okay, so you say the reality is um, with, with technology becoming more and more ubiquitous, people are becoming more important, not less. Only humans can bring the energy, the emotional electricity that transforms companies, governments, and societies into forces capable of co- accomplishing extraordinary things. Amen. Ah, that's gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's right, because we feel we have compassion, we have empathy, we um we have goals. We we have families that we want um, a, a better future for. And you know, technology. You know, there's there's probably a whole larger conversation about um, algorithms and and kind of what they are and what they're not, and you know, the dangers and the opportunities. But technology is not a panacea. It's not going to solve everything. If you take the heart. And, and soul out of what we're what we're doing, and that's really what people 
people are inside your organizations as well as outside your organizations. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, Deb. And on that, let's take our first break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Deborah Westfall, who is the author of Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centered Future. We've been talking a bit about why she write, wrote the book and what's going on in today's world. After the break, we're going to get into the state of today's business that so requires the work that she's doing today. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. Before we get into the program, I'd like to invite you to check out my book, Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and All That Cause, which is on Amazon now. I wrote that book to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution of business to all its stakeholders. I use this content as a basis for my inspirational leadership and grab your gusto programs. If you're just joining the program, my guest today is Deborah Westfall, who is an executive advisor, futurist, and author of Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. She joins us today from Salt Lake City. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So, Deb, before we get into the, the state of business, I want to go back real quick and cover that one last piece around um, technology that I wanted to get before the break, because it's so beautifully written, and I think it you are so uniquely capable of rendering this the way that you did. So, you wrote in your book... We think about technology as applications, interfaces, and most often gadgets. That perception, while accurate, is profoundly limiting. Technology is perhaps the most concrete manifestation of human consciousness, evolving since the first stone chopping tool emerged nearly two million years ago. Categorically, it encompasses the entirety of the human-made artifacts that have facilitated, facilitated and in some cases represented human evolution. That's gorgeous. Thank you, thank you. It is a... Um it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. It's, um, you know, it, we, there's things that we need to do, that we want to do, that we desire for, for a better future, a better life, and we develop technology to do that. Um, you know, and then by using that technology, we, we learn, we unlearn and uh, relearn. And, and it, is, it is something that is human driven. It's not something to be feared. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at right now is we're relearning. And that's why the human part of this, the people side, takes precedence. And it always takes precedence. Mm-hmm. I really felt that it would gain access. And it, it, I think it repositions or reframes technology in a way that people can celebrate, as, and as you say, not be afraid of. And I really wanted to showcase that. I just thought it was gorgeous. So. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. And and before we get further into the, the state of the business stuff, I have to ask you about your travelers. I, your travels. I love to travel too. And you talk in your book about your treks to Antarctica, trekking Kilimanjaro. You've been to Bhutan, which was on my list until I was I was going to run a, a race in Bhutan last year, but we know what happened. So um, I'm interested to know how those experiences have contributed to what how you see the world or business. 
You know, the travel is is probably you do too. You go to all these places, you go to the museums and, and you eat their f- food. But what is to me the most amazing is the people and their mm-hmm. culture and, no and, and having those conversations. And when you have those conversations with people in those countries, you finally, I think you realize that we're more the same than we're different. And, and to me, I just, I, that to me is the most exciting part about about traveling is is knowing that you know the same things that I want for my family and goals they are too they're different experiences but we're 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 very much the same. Mm-hmm. You're reminding me, Deb. Um, I spoke at a conference in, in Malaysia in August of 2018, I think it was, or 17. I can't remember which one. Was, but what was so amazing about that is I told you before we got on the air that I love languages and I speak five different languages. And when I was in Malaysia, I used all of them, and which is Spanish, Portuguese, French, and Italian, and of course English. And what was so great is I hear I'm in this beautiful country and I'm meeting all these other people who I can talk with because that's my my leverage point. That's my 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 segue, if you will. And the connection is so powerful and so profound. Anyway, yeah. so I love what you, for me travel it, it teaches me so much about life. So and I myself mean, and myself and, and, and myself. I've learned so much about myself traveling that uh, I think is is very important. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. Um, you said something in the book that I, did, well, it said a lot of things in the book that I didn't know, but this one here that was really striking to me, and, and I, I want to say that few people probably know this or recall this either, and that is that you say business was more benevolent until the 1980s when it began to move away from civic belief and move more towards serving the shareholder, which of course we all know today is very prominent. So what caused the shift towards shareholder primacy? You know, it was probably, uh, it was, you know, the, the raising voices, but there was a, a gentleman, Milton Freeman, who was very uh, economist and he was yes. very influential. And, and and again, it was in the time that we were industrializing and we were globalizing. And then you have this economist come in and say, you know what, the sole purpose for business is to maximize shareholder profit. And that is the only reason for business. And so focus your you know, focus your attention, focus your energy, focus your organization uh, structure on doing that and uh, you'll be successful. Um, You know, in some cases he was right for the time, but now, you know, that is what what is different about today is we are globalized. And so uh, that's what I meant by in the book. And, and, you know, the, the challenge for people now is to realize how we got here and to challenge whether or not those those same things are, are good going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why, of course, as we talked about, I am very much a champion for conscious capitalism, stakeholder capitalism, and doing business that betters the world. Such a it's a bigger reach when you say we want. I want to help the world. I want to help people rather than just make money, right? To me, that's really kind of hollow. Money is great. It's so important. We can do a lot of things with money, but when it's powered by passion and purpose, it's just such a better end. You know, it's it's interesting because I've been asked if if I'm anti-business and if I'm anti-capitalism and, and quite the opposite. I'm very mm-hmm. pro-business. Um, business has so much power. They have, you know, so much innovation and, and capability within their people and experiences and technology that they can spin that to do something broader. And it's been proven. Uh, you know, in a lot of cases that if you take this broader perspective, you're actually going to be a better, stronger, uh, more successful business. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I've, in my literature, I find over and over that 
investors are looking for purpose-driven businesses to invest in because they return a better better return on investment. So, yeah. So I, I I'm sure we could find examples of, of companies that maybe aren't performing as well when they're purpose-driven. But boy, when you're operating well and focused on how to serve more people better, it really works pretty well. So. Yeah, it's hard to, to motivate your workforce if all it is is about, let's make more money. It, uh, you know, the motivation comes with something that touches the heart, and, yeah. and that's what that purpose-driven means. Yeah, yeah, and so to that end, one of the other things that I found really profoundly interesting about your book that I did not know about, uh, of course I know about the, the quarter-driven system of Wall Street, which I, I do take issue with, but so what you taught me in your book, though, that I didn't know about was I was thrilled to learn about Eric Ries, who launched in 2015 the Long-Term Stock Exchange, which, of course, is the first national securities exchange promoting a long-term focus on for investors and companies. So that's fascinating. I did go and look it up, by the way, since you brought that up. But tell us more about this. You know, it's it's hard to to take this this longer view at some of the problems that need to be addressed if you're having to maximize for the week or the month or the quarter. Your whole decision decision making process is very different, and so by taking a long view and having being more patient, if you would, you can take on uh, other opportunities. You can take on more of these. Uh, these opportunities to, to solve, you know, bigger problems for people. And so having that kind of support from investors, which, you know, we there's others too that, uh, you know, the whole business roundtable and, 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 you know, BlackRock CEO saying, hey, we need to, we need to start focusing on the long term. Having that future focus and that longer term will allow a very different decision making process. Yeah, and listeners and viewers, if you don't know what Deborah's talking about, um, and she talked about it in her book, I talked about it in my book as well, that in, in August of was it 19, that the 181 uh, CEOs signed the, okay. the Business Roundtable Statement saying that we're moving away, that the purpose of an organization um, is to serve all stakeholders, not just shareholders. Essentially, that was what the statement said. Do I have that right? Yes, it did. And and now the trick is, how do we do that? Because mm-hmm. again, our businesses today have been structured around a very different uh, kind of purpose, which is maximizing shareholder profit and, and being very efficient and effective in doing that. Um, now the challenge for those those leaders are, okay, how are we going to do that? And, um, and we're seeing progress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also I wanted to call out, since uh, you had introduced me to this long-term stock exchange, I went and did some digging on Eric Reese. I found a video and I also found some news. And I did notice that he's listed two companies now, a software company called Twilio and Asana as of just this year. So I don't know if you know anything about either of those, but I thought that was fantastic to hear. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, it's new and we'll see what they do for the long term, but I think it's just very exciting that we have support and financial support to be taking this, this longer view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too. I think it's incredibly encouraging and, and, and definitely a, a good direction to pursue and flesh out. So, um, okay, so the next thing I want to I want to treat here with this is uh, your your new term that I believe you have you have created obsolescence. Thank you for that, by the way. It's just yummy, um, but I found it delightful and also profound. And it seems that what you're 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 stepping into the notion that we're learning so much faster these days with human knowledge doubling. You say every 13 months, but we fail to consider which of those additional knowledge inputs acquired over time should be kept and utilized. That is quite interesting. And you as a woman who started off in engineering and know quite a lot about data, that really strikes me as pretty found, pretty profound for us to talk about. So 
tell us more about this obsolescence and what we can do about it. Yeah, and obsolescence, it's its obsolete knowledge, right? It's, right. you know, we're creating knowledge at the, the speed of heat right now. And um, and sometimes it's useful knowledge. Sometimes it's it's uh, it's not so useful. But um, we never stop at, stop and, and consider. Well, what do we? Um, what's obsolete now? Uh, an easy, easy one for me to think about because I am that old is when I went through high school. There were nine planets. We don't have nine planets anymore in our solar system. We have eight, and we have a mini planet. Pluto became a mini planet. And so, you know, if you don't stop and think about what we know and whether or not it's relevant anymore, if we learn new things, then we have, it's almost like this garbage dump, you know, or or a a messy garage that has all this stuff in it that uh, makes it very, very hard to, to, to manage in a uh, in a efficient way, and so obsolete uh, obsolete knowledge also includes our obsolete uh, beliefs and and biases mm-hmm. about how things work and how the world works. Mm-hmm. Well, and I can remember to your point, Deb. I think I can remember. I believed I learned, and you and I are probably similar in age. Um, I believe I learned that only men could be colorblind. My daughter is colorblind, right? I'm right. pretty sure I learned that in school. And we no longer know that to be true, right? So that's that's an example of having to weed out and get rid of obsolete knowledge that is no longer correct or serves. I remember very clearly we were driving to school and she and I and I said, "Oh, that's interesting. Why would they make that flashing light like police cars?" And she's like, "What are you talking about? That's pink." Right. I'm like, "What are you talking about?" So right. And she'd been trying to tell me that she was colorblind, but I told her emphatically she can't be because she's she's not male, you know. So there's a perfect right. example, right? And these things get in our way, right? They get in our way about how. I mean, how many times do we we hear that in in today's in our organizations today? That will never work. We right. tried that. Yes. Um, you know, we tried that twenty years ago. That will never work. Um, it doesn't yes. work that way, right? And right. these things are just. They're obsolete and they're no longer useful to us to have these beliefs. Yeah, they're limiting and they could be actually devastating to your livelihood and success. Absolutely. So so much why I wanted to talk about that, Deb. So thank you. So on that note, let's grab our last break. Um, I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Deborah Westfall, who is the author of Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. We've been talking about the state of business today. After the break, we're going to get into moving to human-centric leadership. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. One other bit of news that I have to share with you is that the anthology I've been curating for the last two years is about to be released in just a matter of days. 
It's a collection of 25 stories of women from around the world who share their intimate stories and all the messy details that come with discovering their purpose and how they're serving from today. So I'm so proud of us. I could just bust. And so the anthology is called Passionately Striving and Why, an anthology of women who persevere mightily to live their purpose, and it's on Amazon now. So thank you for your support in advance for reading it. If you're just joining us, my guest is Deborah Westfall, who is an executive advisor, futurist, and author of Convergence, Technology, Business, and the Human-Centric Future. She joins us today from Salt Lake City. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So now we want to get into this whole idea of human-centric leadership. And as we do, I thought it was so delightful that when we when I read your definition, um, I realized that your definition of leadership aligns quite nicely with mine in the inspirational camp. So you say leadership is the fundamental ability to behave with humility and wisdom, to engage authentically, and to inspire others toward achieving a purpose they might never accomplish on their own. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I, um, I'm excited to hear that you think the same thing. And it's, mm-hmm. I think in a lot of cases, um, that's not shared. Um, unfortunately. I think it's still kind of an old mental model of, of what leadership is, that they are um, they're at the top, they should know all the, the, the answers, um, you know, they make all the decisions, and I, I don't know how leaders can do that in a world that's become very, very complex. You need everybody's, you know, all hands on deck on this, and so um, open that aperture and and really take instead of being at the top of a pyramid, being at the bottom and and uh, and helping others uh, achieve their greatness and and support the organization. Well, and beyond all that, right, Deb? What we what will become in doing so is two things: irresistible and impactful. Yeah, and 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 bringing our authentic self also gives hope and courage, I think, to others to to really that may not in, you know, in other situations may not bring all that. Um, and I think that is, that to me, you know, it's, it's so interesting to be where I'm at in my career. And, and uh, because I do have people that reach back after, after decades and say, you know, boy, remember when, and this was 20 years ago, yeah. and, and they thought enough of me uh, to tell me that I made an impact in their their life and in their career. And I think that's very fulfilling. It is. And, you know, as you've heard me say before, everybody wants to matter, right? And as a leader, we really get to matter to people's lives. And so if you get to be the person that helps someone literally step into and reach into their shine, how amazing is that, right? Yeah. That's that's my call to action for anybody listening in right now. That's what I would ask of you. Just think about what you can do to have people step into their shine with your leadership. So. Um, to that and also I wanted to I've never heard anybody quite treat situational leadership the way that you did in your book which I also want to call out it's it's really quite stunning it's very specific and it's very profound and so you showcase situational leadership as derived from Dr. Paul Hershey and Dr. Ken Blanchard who as you say introduced the situational leadership theory which suggested that leaders choose a leadership style based on the developmental maturity of their team members I've never seen that distinguished like that based on the developmental maturity of their team members. That, that's pretty, pretty amazing, pretty profound. Well, that's, uh, I think that that is their giving of themselves to be a better leader. And, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and when they give of themselves through being, through humility or authenticity um, and, and really grow with the team back and forth, that is, I think that is, um, you know that is kind of the goal. I think, and, um, 
you know, and to do that, um, you know, you got to listen and and get out of the way and and think about not the pyramid of an organization, but but more of of an organization like a layer of pancakes and you mm. know accomplishing things. And so, um, I think leadership is changing, and we need a different model of leadership. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I did want to ask you, which I think you're just starting to speak to there, is you know how can leaders learn the maturity of their team members in order to serve them through their situational leadership? Yeah, ask, <laughs> ask, listen, uh, interface. Um, you know, uh, tell stories, listen to stories, and and really. Mm. Make it not just about the business, but make it about the, the human. And and you can do that within the, the business, um, for sure. But it's, um, you know, I think we've separated the leader from the rest of the organization. We've put them in an office and it's on a different floor and maybe that floor is locked. And, and um, you know, that's not where the leader should be. They should be with their people and um, listening to their ideas and what's working, what's not working. Mm-hmm. Two things come immediately to mind, um, emotional intelligence and back to your storytelling, right? So what I'm seeing consistently over and over again in the work that I'm doing and who I'm having on the show is the importance, the criticality, developing that emotional intelligence of really being able to understand with empathy your team, what they need, what they want, what they ache for, and then to be able to hear it, right, and make the place safe so they can actually voice their concerns and what they want. Um, and then, of course, the storytelling piece for me speaks to being able to share, you know, both what's what did Deb do amazing today with the rest of the team, that story, but also what is this organization doing that's actually really making a difference in the world? And guess what? You're part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And a, and, and a, a hefty dose of, of uh, self-awareness, too, because yes. if you don't know, if you don't know what your biases are, you don't really understand your, your core values. And it takes time to understand your core values as an individual. If you don't understand how you make decisions or why you make decisions or what your triggers are, it's going to be um it's going to be less effective. I think those other things are going to be less effective because it's more coming from a place of of a to do rather than to be. And um, you have to know what you are to bring that that be part um, to the the conversation. I think that was the price of admission. Worth the price of admission, right there, Deb. Self awareness is so important, and I would say truthfully. So much of the work that I end up doing when people say that they need leadership development is they're really what they're dealing with is people that aren't self-aware. They don't know what they don't know, and they have no idea that the impact, the shrapnel that they're causing. I had a great guy in my show named Tim Spiker on my show, and he wrote a book called um, "Be are, are You a Leader Worth Following?" And essentially, what he's talking about is what happens when we work for leaders who aren't self-aware, who don't understand who they are in the world and haven't done their self-work, and that shrapnel that they throw out to their people then comes home with each individual as they then tell their significant other about their awful day and their horrible boss and they kick the dog and they yell at their children and that you know the ongoing effect just continues the ripple so your point about self-awareness i think is really critical yeah it's it's know yourself and um you know when you can 
when you do that, you don't necessarily have to armor up with uh, with a persona that uh, that says you're a leader. You know, you can be you can be confident in in not knowing an answer or or saying, you know what, this is a really hard problem. I don't know how to solve it, but together I have the confidence that we can all all figure this out. And so I think that self assuredness, uh, self awareness is is really important, and we don't teach that in business schools. We don't. Um, you know, we don't, uh, and we don't necessarily coach on that from uh, from a leadership perspective, necessarily. I had a um, I had a boss a long time ago, and I messed up pretty big time. And I said, you know, I need to tell my team I'm I'm sorry. And he says, no, you never tell them you're sorry because, you know, as soon as you say you're sorry, then you show weakness. And yeah. um, you know, sometimes I think we teach some really bad 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 characteristics and habits well wouldn't you say that comes from obsolescence again that's somebody he got Absolutely. that off the shelf you know from 1960s 1970s or whatever and he's been carrying that around with him ever since he pulled it right out of his backpack to give to you you know and i hope it sounds to me like you maybe rejected that i don't know what happened in that situation but yeah i've heard that a lot don't yeah. say you're sorry gosh last thing yeah but that's, that's a great example of that obsolete in that obsolete knowledge exactly mm-hmm mm-hmm Going back to your idea of human-centric leadership, one of the things I also found quite interesting about your book is you say the stronger the focus on people companies had before COVID-19, the higher their chances of survival during and through the crisis. So uh, you also went on to say, in a sense, value propositions shifted from what companies wanted to sell to providing what people valued most. And of course, this is the heart of human-centric behavior. Pretty interesting. And so if you'd say more about what you've noticed in this trend of in these companies that have actually been able to maybe not just, you know, get by, but even maybe thrive because of their focus on providing value and helping people. Yeah, I think that it goes back to that purpose driven. If uh, if it's to serve and um, to help, uh, then then you got through uh, you got through COVID a little bit uh, easier. If it was to to sell a product that wasn't necessarily needed at the time, and that was your sole for purpose to make money, um, you know, you probably you probably failed or you probably struggled. I use the example of restaurants. I think that's a it's a really great yeah. example. And, you know, because we can all relate to it because we all had to feed ourselves through this when everything started shutting down. But the restaurants, especially the local restaurants, the local restaurants that really knew that this was about um, feeding people, making sure they got nutrition, um, sustaining life, they pivoted pretty fast. They figured, you know, I can still cook uh, and we can figure out how to get that that food to, to individuals. Those restaurants that really thought it was a destination or a cute place or come to my place so I can entertain you, um, you know, that mindset didn't survive through through the shutdown. And so I think it's a really great example of, of how, you know, some lessons learned. I mean, that's not taken away from the tragedy of, of COVID and, and how stressful it was for all of us. But I do think there is an immense amount of lessons learned as, from a business that I hope we learn and not try to go back to what we what we were in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. You know, Deb, that's how I got the idea to offer the Grab Your Gusto uh, offering because as I was sitting through the pandemic, and of course, a lot of the work that I was doing was speaking and developing inspirational leaders and doing culture 
uh, consulting, which I still do today, what I kept hearing over and over again was the concern that business leaders had for the mental health and well-being of their people. And I realized, gosh, I can help with that because I'm a local therapist and the work that I do really speaks to how to help teach people how to activate you know, their own energy systems through meaning and purpose from the inside out. That's a great way to combat you know, some of the issues that we're dealing with. And that's how I created that product. It was by listening to that. And I would have never thought about doing that before. That wasn't, wasn't a natural immediate response to how I was doing my work. Yeah, that's a that's a great example, and I think it it really it tapped into that human system because mm -hmm. that need is um, you know that need will continue whether or not we go back to work or in a workplace or, or not. Yeah, and I know that right. So this is this gets to you know the combination of positive psychology, existential psychology. These are my jams, right? This is what I know, and I know this is what creates optimal mental health and energy and vitality. So anyway, that actually all happened. Thank you because of the pandemic. So. Not saying that I'm grateful for the pandemic. I'm just saying that's a nice side benefit. Uh, let me be clear. Um, so we're getting close to the end here, and I definitely want to get you to talk about. Uh, you've got a six-point framework for consideration that starts with the realization that immense energy exists within the human system. So would you say a little something about this six-point framework? Because it'll help us understand just the, the breadth and depth of your work. Right. So if we think about starting with that human system, and maybe it's my engineering background that uh, it really looks at that as a as a system, humanity as a system, it, uh, you know, there's it's a power source and um, it can be tapped into. Tap into that energy, tap into that desire, those hearts, that innovation. That would be the first thing is to just recognize it and, and figure out a way how to tap into it. Um, you know, the, the, the second point is realize that your organization was built for a very different time and for a very different purpose and um, you know we benchmark off of each other and we learned we all went to the same MBA classes and and, and so there's a, a common uh, a common belief about how business is structured and um, how it should be organized and run. And so realize that is that is for the past. That was the industrial age. It's not for the, the knowledge age. Um, you know, resist the strong momentum to uh, to just keep retaining the status quo. It is, that would be the third point, is check yourself moment by moment and the decisions that you're making. Are you making them based on uh, you know, past belief and past practices, or and uh, or are you are you really creating for the the future and the future organization? Um, and that's that's going to take you to have to disrupt your your beliefs. And we've talked about this obsolete and and the the behaviors that you know when you're on autopilot and you're running running real fast in the organization, it is really hard to be disruptive. Um, embrace humanity and and really that uh, that authenticity and um, and be transparent and build trust and and as a leader that is really the the call to action is is the it's no longer a choice as to whether or not you really pivot to uh, a human-centric perspective, but how you pivot to that. And I think that is is the call to action for the future success of business. Beautiful, Deb, absolutely gorgeous. We're really close out of time, but I wanna give you like 15 seconds if you want to go ahead and close out and leave our listeners with anything you'd like them to know. 
you know, humanity is changing business and we need to realize that. And um, it's, uh, it's the issues, it's the challenges, it's the desires, and it is impacting our business. And, and we need to be aware of that and, and stand in that place and reassess our, our leadership and, uh, and our organizations. Beautiful way to finish, Dev. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show, for creating and putting out this gorgeous book, important book. I'm really glad to know you. Thanks for being on the show. You too. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. Listeners and viewers, if you want to learn more about Deborah Westfall, her work, her book, or her life and adventures, start by visiting her website. It's Deborah Westfall. Let me spell that for you. Deborah, D-E-B-O-R-A-H, Westfall, W-E-S-T-P-H-A-L, DeborahWestfall.com. And thanks again to our partnering sponsor, WorkProud, which helps companies build a platform where your workforce receives meaningful feedback and thanks for the work from people across your company. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on the air with Natalie Benamou talking about the platform for women she launched in the pandemic called Her C-Suite. Next week, we'll be on air with Daniel Sanderson, the creator of PlankSip, a new approach to publishing that helps emerging thought leaders with personal branding by co-creating organic content. See you there. Remember that works at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.